Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. One night there was a house that uh, caught on fire, and there was a young boy who was uh, trapped on the second floor. He couldn't get downstairs, and so he crawled out on the little uh, out his window into a little part of the roof where he could reach safety. And while he was there, he could hear his father on the ground saying, "Jump, son! I'll catch you! Jump!" It was the only way he could possibly be saved. But all the boy could see was fire and and smoke. He he couldn't see his dad, and he he was afraid to jump. He said, Daddy, I can't see you. I can't see you. And he said, Son, but I can see you. And that's the only thing that matters. I tell you that because it, it reminds me, it gives me a picture of what we are walking through in Hebrews. Does it not? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. It's the belief that God can see us even when we can't see him. And with outstretched arms, he is calling on us to trust him. And the author's been helping us understand what this trust actually looks like by parading in front of us these examples of godly, faithful men and women. Last week, we looked at Abel and Enoch and Noah. This morning, we're going to focus our attention on Abraham, which is important, if you think about it, to this audience the letter was written to, the letter to the Hebrews, because as a Jewish community, Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. And so they want, he wants them to understand what this faith looks like. Last week, we talked about those essential ingredients of an enduring faith, the understanding that we must acknowledge our need for God, believing in the character of God, and trusting in the provision of God. Those ingredients ensure this enduring faith, even in difficult circumstances. This is a saving faith, believing beyond the limits of our own understanding. The author is helping us understand what it means to live by faith. And this morning, he's going to take it a step further, and he's going to help us understand how to apply these same principles, not only to live by faith, but to die by faith as well. Looking beyond the limits of our own lifetime and putting our faith in the fulfillment of a future hope. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful to be together. We are grateful to belong to you. We are grateful that you delight in us. One of the evidences of that delight is what we get to do this morning by diving into your word. Truths breathed out by you to speak deeply into the hearts and minds of everyone in this room. You want us to see the hope that awaits us. You want us to see the hope that is fulfilled in Jesus. You want us to see the hope with which you created all humanity in your image. So Lord, help us to see that clearly as we look at your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you would, begin reading with me in verse 8 where we left off last. So Hebrews 11, verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, as we work through our passage this morning, there'll be several, because Abraham marks a very important transition in the history of humanity. Because, as we know, God created mankind in his image, and mankind then introduced sin into the world. We know from Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that through one man, speaking of Adam, death entered the world, and and death or sin entered the world, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. And this sin led to increasing levels of, of chaos and rebellion against God. And as you follow the biblical narrative up to before you reach Abraham, it kind of reaches this culminating point with the Tower of Babel, when all the people of the world gather together to make a name for themselves. And really all this is is a sequel to the garden. Were selfish people, sin, ruled by sin, rebelled against the rule of God. So, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God enters the scene of human history and marks a transition with a call to Abraham. Listen to what it says in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, And from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the ones who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this transition takes place when God interrupts the sinful rebellion of humanity with a promise of redemption. He said, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. He is the agent of change through which God would do a new work of grace, bringing salvation to the world for all who believe. That's how the families of the earth would be blessed, by following Abraham's example of faith. It all began, as we see in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham and his family from the life of of comfort and security in a city called Ur. And he tells them to travel what was about 1,700 miles to a place they had never been before, through lands that were ruled by criminals, roads that were filled with danger. To kind of put it all into perspective, this would be like you and I walking from Lubbock, Texas, through drug cartel country in Mexico into the city of Guatemala. That's what this would be like. And so we can look at that and say, well, yeah, but but we have the internet, so at least we'd have a general idea of where we're going and kind of what to expect and have some sense of the culture when we get there. But they had none of that. In fact, it says that, that Abraham was a stranger in a foreign land. He he didn't know the language. He didn't practice 
the religion. But not only him, it says for three consecutive generations, for Abraham, for, for Isaac, for Jacob, it says they had no home, no residence in this land of promise. They were nomadic people. They lived in tents. They moved from, from place to place. Just think about this. They left the, the comforts of a home in a flourishing city with family and friends for this. This is the land of blessing that God promised. But what's interesting here, even though that doesn't seem to add up in our minds, we know from Scripture that Abraham never complained or, or even questioned God's character. Even though when he entered this land, he never had a home that he would ever settle into, nor his children or his children's children. And verse 10 gives us a clue as to why he had this perspective. It says that he was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and architect was God. So, so what this is telling us is that Abraham believed in a future fulfillment that went beyond the limits of his lifetime. See, his hope was in an eternal city. That's the city that's built with God. One, he says, that has foundations, which tells us it's, it's permanent, it's secure, it's immovable. A city populated by the people of God who live within the presence of God. Abraham put his faith in the hope of a future fulfillment, looking beyond the limits of his lifetime. Look at how it continues in verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, as that as many descendants as the stars in heaven of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. When I read this passage, it reminded me how much a person's faith is influenced by their marriage. It didn't work out so well for Job. You may remember he was in a, a period of deep suffering. And instead of affirming his faith and, and his assurance in God's pr uh, promises, uh, Job's wife simply said, why are you still hanging on? <laughs> Just curse God and die. Not very helpful, is it? Not at all. It didn't infirm or, or strengthen his faith. But we see something very different with Sarah. She strengthened the faith of her husband by sharing in the hope of God's promise. Verse 11 says, She considered him faithful who had promised. So together, they looked to the Lord in faith. Their, their marriage magnified their faith in God. See, Sarah believed there's no such thing as accidental births. That every conception is a miraculous work of God. The, the Lord, the giver of life. And miracles, by definition, exist beyond the limits of what's normal. And so, whether you have a, a child at 99 or 29, they're equally as miraculous. So Sarah stood by her husband. And God magnified their faith through their marriage. And I know that I've experienced this in my own marriage as well. My sweet wife 
has stood by me in seasons of suffering and struggle. And she has faithfully reminded me of God's promises. I believe that's what we see happening here with Abraham and Sarah. They keep reminding each other, he who promised is faithful. He promised is faithful. Because in the end, this passage is telling us that their faith went beyond the birth of a child. In fact, they believed that God was building a kingdom of people. How do we know that? It's because they were relying on the promise that's quoted here in this passage, a promise that went beyond the limits of their lifetime because it was a promise that they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven, as many as the the sands on the seashore. So they put their faith in the hope of a future fulfillment, a time when God's people live eternally in God's presence, having been rescued from this sinful world to become residents in a holy kingdom, a city whose builder and architect is God. Look at how it continues in verse 13. And these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In these three verses, I think the author in some ways kind of takes a pause and makes a clarifying statement, a a statement that kind of applies to everything he said so far, going all the way back to where we began with Abel. Because all of them that he's highlighted so far have one single thing in common. Verse 13 says, they died without receiving the promises. Their faith went beyond what they could see. Their hope was in a future fulfillment. Something that our passage says they saw from from a distance. So they didn't see it up close. They could see that it was somewhere ahead of them. The author kind of describes their faith as like a journey. Kind of like what we see when we've read the the story of Pilgrim's Progress, a, a journey where these people of faith that we've looked at so far, like Christian in the story of Pilgrim's Progress, are making their way to the celestial city. And that's where they believe their hope would be fulfilled. That's where they believe everything God promised would be made true. None of them, not a single one of them, viewed this earth as their final destination. After all, Abraham and his family could have gone back to the city of Ur and the comforts therein at any time they wanted. That's the point of this passage. They could have packed up their tents and said, let's not do this anymore, we're going home. But once they followed God in faith, that was not their home any longer. I don't know about you, but that's a good reminder for me. I mean, 
Truth is, I'm a homebody. I I like to travel from time to time, but there's no place like home. I love just sitting in the backyard, just listening to the birds. I love curling up on the couch, reading a book, watching a movie. I just love to be at home. But like the passage, people in our passage, I need to be reminded, just like them, that when I put my faith in Christ, that's not my home any longer. It's more like a tent. It's like a a temporary residence as I'm passing through a place that is not where I live permanently. Our hope is fixed in heaven, which is far better than anything that we could experience on earth. Verse 16 says that they had a new desire for a better country. It's telling us that their, their hearts longed for heaven. They belonged to God. That's where they want to be, in his presence. And he delights in them. So much so that it says that he prepared a place for them to live eternally in his presence. So yes, God is calling us and he's given examples of people who have lived by faith. But part of what it means to live by faith is having the assurance of what you go into as you die by faith what your permanent residence actually is, looking beyond the limits of your lifetime, putting your faith in the hope of a future fulfillment. Look at how it continues in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. So the promise would come through Isaac. He he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith. Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. As we read this passage, I love when the New Testament makes the Old Testament come to life. And we see that here in this passage. Because I don't know about you, but just reading the the story of Abraham and Isaac in isolation is really difficult to get your head around, isn't it? I mean, how could someone come to a place where it was okay for them to kill their own son? I mean, how could they justify the premeditated murder of an innocent life and then somehow still believe that it was consistent with God's character? Remember, the Lord, the giver of life? How can you do that? Well, this passage gives us some insight into what was God's promise that he felt certain that he would do what had never been done before, that he would accomplish the impossible, that he would keep his promise alive by raising his son Isaac from the dead. And I believe this was a settled conviction before he ever walked up the mountain to make the sacrifice that day. And the reason that's true is because of Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Listen to what it says as Abraham speaks to the servants who escorted them to the base of the mountain that day. He tells them this. He says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy, being Isaac, 
Go over there. Go up to the mountain. It says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Did you see it? Not I will worship, and I will come back to you, but we will worship, and we, my son and I, we will come back to you. Because Abraham believed that he was going to witness a resurrection. His faith rested firmly on the unlimited power of God's promise. And the passage tells us that that faith was then passed down to, to future generations. Isaac then blessed his son, Jacob and Esau. And then he, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. And that blessing looked forward to the hope of a future fulfillment. Because you'll remember, these were somewhat unorthodox in the blessings. It's interesting that these specific ones are being highlighted here because you may remember Jacob tricked Isaac to receive a blessing that actually uh, deserved to be given to Esau. And not only that, when Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, instead of placing his hands older and younger, he switched them. Reversing who received the blessings, which was different than what they intended. These were prophetic blessings. They were promises of things that were yet to come. But their faith was not based and built upon human tradition. These were not blessings that any of these people felt any responsibility to fulfill themselves. In fact, in verse 21, it says that Jacob gave his blessing while he was dying. It was a blessing that he knew was based on a future fulfillment. And the same is true for Joseph. When he gave orders to to take his bones with the people when they went from the land of Egypt into the land of promise. But I want you to keep in mind, and I, and I believe this is true, at that time, the, the people of Israel had no plans to leave Egypt. Okay? In, in fact, the people of Israel had never had it any better than they had it there in Egypt. They had faithful provision of food in the midst of a famine. They had private land in which to raise their livestock. They had security from a world empire that protected them. Why in the world would they ever want to leave Egypt? But Joseph knew. Joseph knew because that was not their home. That was not the inheritance that God had promised. He put his faith in the hope of a future fulfillment. Having walked by faith, Joseph would now die by faith, looking to a promise that was yet to come. Our passage this morning, wants us to see the power of a faith that is focused on a future fulfillment. It fixes our hope in heaven and not on the things of this world. Because what is true of the people in our passage is equally true of you and I as well. For example, just like Abraham, we are living as strangers and aliens. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, we are strangers and aliens. This, this world is not our home. No matter where we live or how long we're there, it is a temporary residence. We're on a journey of faith. We're on our way to the celestial city. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into what is the kingdom of Christ in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Our our faith in Jesus is what makes that hope in heaven come alive. And along with that heavenly kingdom 
is a holy inheritance. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance, and here it is, listen to it, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Where? Reserved in heaven for you. Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. For where I am, there you may also be. So here's the question. Is your hope fixed on a future fulfillment? Are you living for promises that exist well beyond the limits of this world, even beyond the limits of your own lifetime? As you walk by faith, are you being prepared to die by faith as well? Because here's the reality. When we put our focus on the hope of a future fulfillment, it absolutely transforms how we see our current circumstances. It influences everything, our plans, our ambitions, our investments, our goals. We are less compelled to seek comfort and and security in this world. We, We think about the impact that's being made in eternity instead of being ruled by selfish desires that basically are centered on what's best for me. Sure, here's the reality. We, we grieve and, and we suffer loss. That's a part of life in this world, but the Bible reminds us not without hope. We experience the realities of, of sickness and disease, but not in despair. Like my brother reminded me, this world is not our home. We will be healed. I don't know if it's on this side of heaven or the next, but it's going to happen because it's a promise of God. This past week, we were in Dallas <laughs> moving <clears throat> Terry's mom from a rehab to her home where she's on hospice. And one of the beautiful privileges I had yesterday was to sit down one-on-one and give her this sermon to remind her this is where our hope is. And, and she's 94 years old. And she knows that she doesn't have time left. But this applies to you if you're 16 years old as well. This is the hope. This is what we're living for. But I want you to know this as as we kind of think about this passage and these people that are being paraded in front of us as we go through the hall of faith. And it's easy to exalt them, but we must not forget that these are not perfect people, right? Within this list, even the ones that we've walked through so far, they doubted God. They laughed at God. They wrestled with God. But God, get this, was so gracious and patient with them, just as he is with us. You see, here's something I want you to take home with you. You don't have to be a person of amazingly great faith. You just need to have a small amount of faith 
and amazingly great God. Don't miss that. You are not being called to be perfect. You're being called to put your trust in the only one who is. To trust in him as he calls out to you. Trusting that all he promises to do, that he is faithful to fulfill, even when we don't completely understand. God has given us all we need to know. And think about this, guys. He didn't have to give us anything about the hope of what is to come. There's nothing that requires him to do so, except for he loves us. And he wants us to know that no matter what circumstance that you find yourself in, no matter how difficult or Uh, discouraging it may be, it's not the end. That there's something far greater that is ahead that he has prepared beforehand so that you can walk into it. He wants you to long for a heavenly home. And he wants you, while you're here, to share the hope of heaven with everyone around you. And when you think about heaven... (laughs) I know this is the image that comes to mind to many of us because it's pictured in art very often. I don't want you to think of puffy clouds and chubby angels and harps and that kind of thing. That's not what this is all about. What heaven is, in, what's in store for us, our eternal home is so much more. It is a recreation of the world as we know it when God promises to make all things new. A brand new heavens and a brand new earth where everything is perfectly ordained as he originally intended and it lasts for eternity. That's what we're living for. Not puffy clouds and chubby angels, but heaven coming down to earth where God's people live eternally in his presence and all things have been made perfect before him. Now that's worth living for, right? Listen to how we just get a little glimpse of it and just consider the gracious kindness of God that allows us to see and peek behind the curtain to tell us what we're living for. Excuse me, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the very presence of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or or crying or pain. These first things, they, they pass away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is what we're living for. We are putting our faith in the hope of a future fulfillment when God makes all things new. And if that's what we believe, it should dramatically transform how we live our lives every day and how we persevere through the circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter what they may be. So let's stand together in that faith that looks beyond the limits of our lifetime to a hope that is eternal. Amen? Father, thank you. You didn't have to show us 
what's ahead, but you did because you love us. You wanted us to get a glimpse of what you promised and prepared that will be ours one day so that as we live by faith, we may die in the faith of knowing that we walk into the fulfillment of that promise that you've made. So Lord, may that transform, that truth, may it transform how we see our current circumstances, how we live life. May we let go of the sin that so easily entangles us. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, this very same hope endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. May we have that same focus and intent in our lives. Sharing the hope of heaven with those around us. Living for something beyond the limits of our own lifetime. Thank you for that gift. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. So there's a saying, some of you may have been thinking this morning, uh, that says those who are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That's baloney. Because when you really understand the hope of giving it heaven, it transforms the way you live your daily life. In beautiful, God-honoring, Jesus-glorifying ways. And so this, let me encourage you and remind you that not only do we look for the hope of heaven yet future, but we realize as people of God that the first fruits of that promise already exist right now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And when he came, the presence of the Holy Spirit indwells our lives. He is with us. We see the the hope of the gifts that he has given his people to declare the message of faith in Jesus Christ. Many of the things that we see one day completely fulfilled, we get a taste of right here and now. So live those. Live those out as we long for their completion in the day of the fulfillment yet to come. Amen? So go and live that out. Lord, thank you so much for these friends, this family, that we get the privilege of living life together, reminding each other of those promises because we need that, Lord. We forget. We need somebody to come alongside us and remind us of what is yet to come, what is present now, and how you were at work to fulfill all that you promised. And we can trust you. We can trust you. So may we live that out faithfully as we walk out of this place this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen.